We're going to continue on with the Sermon on the Mount series, I guess we could call it, because it just keeps going. You ever notice that about the Sermon on the Mount, that it doesn't seem to have an end? You ever been in services like that? Where it's like, in closing, and then you let, you said that a half hour ago. Because in closing, your stomach's saying, oh, it's almost lunchtime. But in reality, sometimes they fool us, right? But today we're going we're gonna to read a little bit further on in Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6, like I was saying last week, was all about this idea that God's first. That we need to place God first in everything that we do, not just some things. Because when we put it in some things, something's going to lack. So we need to put everything at the feet of Jesus. That's what we have to do. So I'm going to start with a little story. Is that okay? I like story time. Story time's fun. It says, a man was constantly worrying that somebody was under his bed. That's weird and creepy. I remember my, my family took me to see a movie when I was seven years old, and it scarred me for a while. It was called Jaws 2. And I could have sworn my bed was in the ocean. And if I had any body part at all that went over to the side of the mattress, it was fair game for the shark under my bed. Because that movie jacks you up as a kid. Right? You think, oh, it's coming out of nowhere. And then you see it now, you're like, I was scared of that thing? That is the worst mechanical shark ever. That thing didn't work half the time, so why was I scared? First time they used, I, I forget what they called it, but the first time they used it, first shot, the shark actually sank to the bottom. It didn't work, so the whole thing took on water and away it went. <laughs> so they spent more time fixing the shark than actually using it. There's some movie trivia for you. Bruce, I think they called it Bruce, if I remember right. Anyways. So this guy was living in fear that there was somebody under his bed. So he went to a counselor who was willing to help him, but, you know, for a high fee. And we're going to stretch this out for many months. So a few weeks later, the counselor met the man on the street and asked him why he had not returned. The man replied, I met a friend who gave me some great advice for free, and it worked perfectly. And the counselor looked all puzzled, and he said, well... What kind of advice could this guy have given you that would have been so valuable? And he said, my friend just looked at me and he said, he asked me to cut the legs off of my bed down to ground level. The counselor was literally speechless at that point because you're like, oh, there's no room for anybody under the bed, is there? Money well spent. So how much of the things that we worry about are unfounded? How much of the things that we stress about, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying stress, anxiety, and things like that, because it's real. The things that we go through in our lives, it happens, it's real. This is where we're going today, so here we go. Unhealthy worrying can cripple us to the point of making us ineffective and unable to cope with life's challenges. The word that stood out to that quote for me was ineffective. There's a verse where it says that we can become ineffective in our work for the Lord. That word kind of frightened me a little bit. I don't want to be ineffective in what I do, like in anything. I want to do it, everything as, as it's under the Lord. But I don't want to be found ineffective whatsoever. 
all this stuff can also lead to depression. It can worry over sickness and viruses, and well, especially after this year, we stress over sicknesses and viruses and COVIDs and things like that. We stress a lot about unforeseen dangers, right? This, the feelings are real. Longman Dictionary describes worry as an uncomfortable feeling in the mind caused by a mixture of fear and uncertainty. Sadly, according to experts, also say that worry can also take a heavy toll on your physical and mental health. Dr. Charles Mayo once said, worry affects the circulation and the whole nervous system. I've never known a man who died from overwork, but I've known many who have died from doubt. Crazy, right? So what are you worrying about today? What's today's stress? And I'm not saying that to be, I don't want it to become like a special. Oh, so what's our stress of the day? Our stress today is, uh, it's not like you go to a restaurant, you ask for the special or what's the soup du jour or anything like that. We want that to be a non-existent thing. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and here's what it says. And this is what I love about this, is that it's pretty straightforward. We can really read this and pray and be done because it's like, that is convicting enough. But I wrote way more, so hold on. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, and for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the fields and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow's going to bring its own worries. There's enough trouble for today. Boom, in your face, amen. <laughs> right? It's that kind of verse. It's like... It's that groundbreaking, but yet so practical for us. But yet, in the middle of everything, it's sometimes the most simple things that we actually forget to do. Anybody ever get stressed and you get upset about something and you get worked up? And my wife can attest that this never happens to me. But you get worked out and stressed about something and then you react and you think about something. And then, you know, about 45 minutes later... I should just pray. That would have been better the first thing to do. Anybody, anybody ever done that? So, okay, good. So just, we're all in the same boat. I was hoping you guys were so much more spiritual. So we're all in the same boat together, right? Sometimes we don't do what we should do the first thing. That's obviously the easiest and the best. So in these verses, Jesus spoke about the futility and the worthlessness of worry. And why they have no place in the lives of sons and daughters of the Most High God. 
So today I want to look at four things about worry, stress, and all that kind of stuff. So the first thing I want to talk about is that worry doesn't change anything. Have you ever worried about something and all of a sudden, instantly, the whole situation transformed? <gasps> That's better. Has that ever happened? No, it, it doesn't work that way because... When you stress, when you worry, when you have anxiety, when you are going through things that are tough and they're rough, and I get it, I've been through those things as well, but also when I make the thing bigger than the God, then I'm not trusting him fully. I'm putting my faith or putting my attention to the thing that's kind of taken me away from the presence of God instead of focusing on the one who can bring me into his presence and bring me peace through that situation. It's very important that we remember that. The word worry comes from merimneo. That's Greek, because I looked it up. And it's actually derived from the word marizo, which means to divide into parts. So what Jesus is saying in these verses, that it, it suggests that there's a distraction and a preoccupation with things that cause anxiety, stress, and pressure. We face things in life. I, mm, I know. They're all real things that we deal with. And if we're not dealing with something now, we might tomorrow or in the future. Who knows? But we all deal with stuff. It's what do we do with it? And here's the thing. It's not our job to know what the outcome is going to be. Because we try to put everything in our hands, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, well, I, I can do this or I can do that to make that better. No. Take it out of your hands. Put it in the hands of a loving, and a loving creator, a loving God that wants to heal those things in your life and take them away. He wants to take away the burden. Jesus said, come to me. My, my yoke is easy and the burden is light. I want to remove it from you so you don't have to carry that backpack that has you hunched over. I want you to stand up as a proud son and daughter of the Most High God. He wants to take that away. Sometimes we just have to let him have it. Because he can, trust me, he can handle it. Have you seen the universe? What you're going through, he's pretty much, it's okay. He's got it. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, for I am with you. He always is. I love music. And when I started thinking about worry and stress and anxiety, all of a sudden I started going back, I think it was the 80s, and there was a gentleman named Bobby McFerrin, known for his a cappella work. Pretty amazing dude, musically. And he put out this song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Oh, now it hits. Now you're like, you're welcome. That'll be in your head all day. You're going to go home, where's that on Spotify? <laughs> or delete that from my playlist. So this is what Liony says. He says, in every life we have some trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. Wisdom from Bobby McFerrin. Who would have thought, right? 
But it's so true. When we focus on the things that don't need to be focused on, they compound in their effectiveness in our lives. They get bigger, not because they are, just because we make them bigger. Worry and fear don't add anything worthwhile to our day. They're both very unhelpful and moving you closer to what God has for you. One of my favorite verses in scriptures, Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Be encouraged today because everything that we face in our lives and everything that you're going through in your life today has not taken God by surprise. It's not as if he didn't see it coming. He's not shocked by it. He's like, oh, that's weird. Phoenix Suns in the finals. Never would have called that. I don't know if he really cares about the NBA, but, but you know what I mean? Nothing surprises him. He's not taken by surprise by anything. Jesus uses two easy-to-understand examples to show that worrying is futile. He mentioned that you cannot add one cubit to our height or an hour to your life by worrying. If I worry hard enough, maybe I'll become taller. My daughter is worried that she's not going to become taller in her life. And all the worry and stress about that is not going to make it taller. Make her, she's not, you know, we'll hang you by your ankle. See what happens. That's silly. But she'll be at home hanging by her ankles in her closet. I'm trying. He also said in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, verse 26, it says, and since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Worrying will not change anything. So ask God to change your thinking. We have to adjust the way we think, the way we operate, and the, what we put our focus on, right? The changing has to come from us, not God. We have to adjust what we are focusing on. And I've noticed over the last year and a half that there's been this trend of something that people think that it's going to make things change or make things better. And this platform of social media, I don't know if you've ever seen the posts where it's the, the plea for help or going through stuff. And that, I mean, posts like that, it's, it's a reaching out. People are hurting. People are, they need some, some attention. And I totally understand that. But when we use platforms to kind of platform our struggle, then we're actually kind of taking it on as a bit of a form of pride. Because instead of pointing people to Jesus, we're actually pointing people to our issue not demeaning the issue that people are going through all the time. People have said something, I've responded, I've tried to encourage, and sometimes they want to listen and sometimes they don't, and that's okay. Here's my two cents. God bless you. Have a great day. Here's what I would do, and I've had people accept it, and I've had people told me don't answer them ever again. Okay. I'll... Easy peasy. I can save more time to help people that want to be helped. This is, I was talking with my wife, Deborah, last night, and just everything that we talked about, and she, she was helping me write today, and she was giving me ideas and thoughts, and she's amazing. 
And she was sitting and she was like, everything that we need to be focused on bends around being in a community. It's so important to be in community. It's important to be around. Now, social media is a community, but it's not necessarily a healthy one because it's fake. I don't know if you noticed that. I have 1,400 friends on Facebook, and I've probably not spoken to 80% of them ever. Weird, huh? But they're my friends. They're my friends. And it's okay. You can have lots of friends. But community comes when a guy can come to you and say, or call you on the phone, or text you and say, hey, I'm going through this. Can you pray with me? Can we talk? Can we go do coffee? Can we do all these things? And when you get a real tangible person in front of you or on the phone with you, it is a game changer. This is not community. This is community. I have friends texting me and calling me. I have friends asking me advice about cars. Right, Gary? Why? Because I love cars. And so Gary texted me, what do you think about this, 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 or that, or that? I love that he can text me and say, I need a car. Can you help? Yes, I happen to love cars. Let's go shopping. Because I love cars and shopping. So it works out really, really well. It's perfect. Much to the chagrin of my wife, she's like, oh, yeah, he does. God wants to do something amazing in our lives, but if we just make him so small to where we confine him to a computer screen, and that's our community, it's not healthy. Side note, stay away from the what-if people in your lives. You know who I'm talking about? The what-if, the doom and gloom what-if people, the what-if mindsets. Yeah, but, but what, what if... What if there's an earthquake and you can't make it to work tomorrow? What if there isn't and I do? I'm going to go ask Deborah out for the very first time. What if she says no? What if she doesn't? You know, you know what I mean? The what if people? Yeah, it's the, those people that are like, oh, I'm going to go do this. Yeah, but what if your plane crashes? Go away. <laughs> this motion right here is very useful with what if people. Just launch them. Just a simple feel. It's more like a ballet thing right now, which feels really awkward. <laughs> I was more, more going for the field goal football kick, but then I pointed my toes, and that was like game over. So never mind. Sorry about the visual. But you have to keep the what if mindsets out of your life. God is not about what ifs. He's about what is. Because there's a little sign back there. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not waver. He's not going to adjust who he is so you can feel better. I know. Because I've been through that. <laughs> He's not going to. So the first thing, worry's not going to change anything. The second, learn to live one day at a time. It says, nobody's promised tomorrow. 
right? Tomorrow's going to have enough problems of its own. So, hey, live today. Be here. Be now. Not, but, oh, my gosh, in two weeks I have this going on. I'm like, have a schedule. That's cool. But don't let the schedule own you because that's taxing. Has anybody been stressed about things in their lives so much that it actually affects you physically? Headaches? You just can't eat? For some reason, I, when I was working for a car dealership up in Canada, I didn't know I was stressed until I, until I went and saw a doctor because I couldn't figure out why my lips, my lips kept swelling up. I mean, like, it's like, I had like a hippopotamus syndrome. I don't know what was going on. There's like these lips just, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe I should go get this check. And so they asked me, are, are you stressed? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then they started asking me these other questions. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I am. I said, do you have anything stressful coming up? Well. I'm moving to a different country. Okay. I'm going to be getting married. Oh. How are things at work? Stressful? Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> you know, lips. <laughs> so it was like, I'm not stressed about anything. And then all of a sudden, going down the list, I've said, okay, maybe I am. But I wasn't giving it much thought, but it still affected me because internally it was doing, it was jacking me up a little bit. So we have to learn to live one day at a time. If you've ever followed golf, there was a professional golfer named Bruce Litsky. And he was, a, he was a tremendous golfer in the 90s. He was an amazing golfer. Um, one day some reporters were looking at him because he had dropped out of a couple of major tournaments. One of them was the United States Open, and the other was the Western Open, and they began asking, what's happening? Why aren't you here? You have a great chance for fame and fortune. What is going on in your life? He turned to them and said, well, something very simple. I'm coaching my son's baseball team just now, and they've reached the playoffs, and this is where I'm going to be. Yeah, they said, but you're going to miss the United States Open. And he calmly replied, no, I'm not. I'm where I want to be. This is my priority right now. He could have had it. He could have laid <laughs> He could have laid his family down on this altar of fame and fortune and went and made bank. No, but he lived every day. He just lived one day at a time. What are you doing today? Are you going to make money? No, I'm going to go play baseball with my son. That's what was important. That, it wasn't the money. It wasn't the fame and fortune. It was family. That's what was important to him. Worry has become this obsession with our modern world. And I wonder, anybody ever read the serenity prayer? Normally, we only see the first part of it. Here's the part that we see on, let me see, I've seen it on tea towels. I've seen it on bumper stickers. I've seen it on uh, placeholders, placemats, um, napkins, um, tattoos. So I've seen it in a lot of places, so it's real. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change and the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. How many know how many that that was it? That's the serenity prayer. You know, there's a part two from the guy that wrote it. 
This one doesn't get as much publicity because he talks about a guy named Jesus. Part two says this, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, and I, if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Part two is awesome. Part two I've never seen on a bumper sticker or a tea towel. You see, Jesus mentions that there's enough trouble for each day, and we should be focusing on living each day as it comes, not focus on, because he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's jacked up on its own. It doesn't need you to help it. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't plan for the future. I mean, but just don't worry about it. Don't worry over it. A quote I read says, planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. Plan things out. Make a schedule. Work it out. Do it. You've got stuff coming up. Throw it on a calendar. Just don't worry about it. Because that's when you're wasting your time, right? Sadly, most people either live with regret over the past or worry about the future. And a lot of people live in an unhealthy way. Now, Jesus, once again, he doesn't say don't plan ahead. We can't pretend that tomorrow's not coming. Oh, tomorrow's Monday. Oh, hit pause. 11.59, just stop everything. No Monday, please. No, it's coming because it's on the calendar. It's coming tomorrow. But when we trust in God and His Son, Jesus, we can actually embrace today with confidence. We can be confident to know that Jesus is God today in the palm of His hands. The great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, back, back in the late 1800s, used to say this, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strength. Having a personal faith in Jesus does not mean today's worries suddenly disappear because they don't. Sometimes they do. But it does mean that we have this strength and this grace to handle today's issues. And with him, we can live one day at a time. So if we use today properly our anxiety about tomorrow, it goes away. It's diminished if we apply ourselves today more. At his deathbed, Winston Churchill said that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. It's a great philosophy, right? <laughs> I had so many things that happened in my life that never came to pass. So don't stress about it, because most of it's probably... How many play things out in their mind about the way you think something's going to play out, then it doesn't play out the way that you thought it was going to play out, and God says, I told you I had this. And then we're like, hi, God, it's me again. Sorry. That's how we say sorry in Canada. 
Fori. Right? Yeah, the accent comes out now and then. It's about facing each step or each day step by step. step. Finish what you need to do today, but always seeking God's guidance. Wake up in the morning. Okay, God, what you got on tap today? What's going to happen today? If you ask that question, he'll probably show up and give you a response. Sometimes we don't like the answer, though. Sometimes we don't like where he's going. Oh, I, I didn't mean that. I meant, what did you have for me that I would like to do? <laughs> My bad. I wasn't clear. And he's like, I was. <laughs> yeah, moving on. Psalm 68, 9 says, Praise the Lord, praise God our Savior, for each day he carries us in his arms. He's got you. Each and every moment of your lives. So the third thing we have to remember about stress, anxiety, worry, and all those things, that we have to believe that God has you covered. Believe he has you covered. Not just talk about it, but actually believe it. Because a lot of times we, mm, we like to talk about things or we post a lot of things. This is, what, this is what the Lord's saying to me, but we don't live it all out, do we, sometimes? Guilty. I'm just being honest, being real. Referring to food, drink, and clothing, which is symbolic of all of our needs, Jesus said your heavenly Father knows what you need. And then he shows us two really, really simple yet powerful illustrations about what, how he knows that. The birds, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. The lilies, they don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, well, he is, then he will, will he not much more clothe you? I don't know if anybody ever seen a stressed out bird. I've seen some birds with attitudes. I've seen them. They've got, we've got, like, crows around my house. Those are birds with attitudes. Okay. But the crows don't lack because they're in my trash can. Or the neighbors. Or they're just picking up something off the road. This is delicious. Okay. They're not stressed out about anything. You never see a bird sitting there contemplating, I wonder where we should take the family today. Now I'm going to go dig, grab a worm, Take it back to the nest. Here you go. Enjoy. And they're like, ah. You know, they're going crazy. Because they're not stressing about it. They're happy to eat. God provides all these things for us. Luke 12, 32, it says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock, that's us. <laughs> We're the little flock. Don't worry, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure. He loves to give you the kingdom. You will not lack. Ever. He, just, he says it. You, I want to give this to you. But yeah, but, but will it make me change my plans? Well, will, will I mean, will I have to, you know, not my will but yours be done, you know? 
do I really have to live that out? Well, yeah, it's kind of a thing if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. Can I take you on a little journey this morning? Is that okay? Little trip? Little. We're going to start in the great nation of Canada. That's where I was born. People don't know that. I was born in Canada. I was born there at a very early age. It's true. <laughs> I don't remember that day, but it happened because here I am. And there was one day that was going to come where I was going to leave everything I knew. And at the time, but then having discussion with my, with, uh, with my wife, Deborah, we started to think, well, this is something that you could have been stressed about. This is something. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, lips. Pfft, got it. I remember the lips. And... Um, so I worked at a car dealership and a great job. I, was, I sold a lot of cars. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I loved it. It's not like selling cars in California. People will actually take three weeks to figure out if they want a Sentra, a Corolla, or a Civic. And they had these things called brochures that were made of paper. And you went and you went home and you started weighing, oh, the trunk here is this much bigger than this. You know, you start weighing all your options, right? We worked 8 to 5. Saturday was 8 to 6. We were closed Sundays. I came here. I'm like, you start work when? 8. When are you done? 9. Okay. When's your days off? Well, it, it changes. Oh. And then I freaked out the first time I had people in front of me. I was trying to sell a car, and I says, what do you guys think? And they say, we'll take it. And I said, totally understand, because I was used to, we want to think about it. We've all used the we want to think about it line, right? We want to think about it. And I'm like, wait, did you just say you'll take it? I had to take a double take, because that's not what I'm used to. I'm used to, like, oh, I understand, go home and scour the Internet for reviews and all that stuff and do your thing. So I was doing really, really well. I would sell 15 to 20 cars a month. I loved doing it because there were people that I knew that were the reason why people didn't like car salesmen. I worked with them. And they made my job really easy. <laughs> it's just like, just a little bit of integrity. And man, we're off. We're going. We're doing well. But I was doing well. I was next in line. I could, I mean, literally, I could go throw my plate. I had my own dealer plate, so I would go, and I'd put it on a car, and I would take it home for the night. Whatever I wanted to take home. Here, try this new model. Take it home. It's like advertising. It's doing really well. I was about, I was next in line to be the manager of the dealership, which I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be, oh, man, so much status, make some more money, and drive whatever I want all the time. That's not what God had in mind. See, I had to be willing, had to be willing to let God cover me in what I was about to endure. So I was, another spoiler alert, and it's not the beautiful woman that's sitting right there. Because <laughs> I, I got caught in this story once, and I had to backtrack for a long time. But uh, when I was living in Canada, I was married once before. 
not to Deborah. It was a different lady. And so I went through a divorce up in Canada. She had had an affair with a coworker, and blah, 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 blah. Th things happened. And so I was actually getting to a place where I was being healthy and I was being, uh, getting involved in church and I was being spiritually like in a place where I, I felt like, oh, okay, you're starting to see the glimpse of destiny. You're starting to see the glimpse of purpose. And you're like, I see where God's taking me. And then all of a sudden I went through this and then I started catering to the ideals and the whatever my ex wanted to do because she didn't like seeing that because she didn't want to be involved. So I started listening to the wrong voice. So I listened to the wrong voice. I catered to her. She left. But I was left with this devastated self-image that still rears its ugly head today. Sometimes it's really, really hard for me just to take a compliment. It is. Sometimes it's hard for me to do that. And I felt like what I was working towards or what I felt was God do doing in my life, I kind of blew it. And I felt like my purpose had been crushed. But yet somehow I knew in the back of my mind that God still had me covered. He still got me covered. So that all played out. I was okay. And a couple of years had passed. So both my sisters live down in California now. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go through immigration. I'm going to go do all that fun stuff. Well, both of my sisters had complete nightmares with immigration. Like, worst case, like, wouldn't let her back into the U.S. stranded in Canada for six months. Like, bad. And I was like, okay, so if I come down here, I'm going to go get my... See, I, in my mind, I'm preparing for... Well, I'm not allowed to work when I come because I have to wait for immigration to process my work visa and all these things. So I'm going to have like a mini vacation when I move to California. This is going to be great. The same day I went in to process my paperwork, I walked out with a work visa. And I'm like, hold on, hold, hold what? <laughs> So my dreams of having a little California vacay once I moved here, yeah, that was gone. So I was like, so I have to go to work now? Well, yeah, that's what this visa says. You can actually go to work starting now. Oh. Okay. It's a little, little sad about that, but oh well. Let's go get him, Tiger. So, and I think... And little by little, through all these different situations, I saw how God had me covered. I knew that I needed to work. I mean, <laughs> my flesh was not really looking forward to that, but my heart was like, I should really do this. But, but God knows what we need more than we do sometimes. So that was all easy. That immigration stuff, I have had not one issue with immigration, period. My sisters are still fighting with immigration about things. So I'm like, thank God. So I went and got a job. That was awful. I don't do well in a cubicle. When on a Saturday morning, I have to go and call people and tell them that they owe us money. 
I'm, I'm sorry, sir. What did you call me? I, I should go. So I lasted a month there. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to go back to selling cars. So I went to Nissan dealership in Palmdale, and I went there, and I was like, okay, I, I know this. I, I sold Nissans for seven years. These, these are in my sleep, no problem. So I walked in. They talked to me. They said, okay, we'll take you. I'm like, sweet. So I came in, started selling cars, doing the thing there. Was consistently selling 20 to 25 cars a month there for the first few months. Doing well, I was, and it was fun. I was having a good time. People didn't like me because I was happy. But, <laughs> and it's real because I'd be like, hey, welcome, nice to see you, blah, blah, blah. And most of these guys are like, just like wolves looking for fresh meat. Ever, you ever gone on the car dealership and they're all sitting there looking at you drive in? And you feel like, I feel like a seal at a great white party. <laughs> you know, I feel like, I should go. Let's go to Kia. <laughs> you know, let's see what's there. I left later that year to go home for Christmas to celebrate with my family. I came back. They had made me a manager. They made me a closer of a team. I came back, and then they said, well, Mark, uh, we fired everybody on your team except one guy. Well, welcome home and happy new year. So I'm like, what's going on? So they said, okay, well, you know, until we get you built back up more with a team, we're just going to have you go back to being a salesman for now. And I'm a team player. I'm like, okay, if that's what you need me to do, that's what I'll do. I'm fine with that. So I went home. I told Dev. I said, okay, well, we'll just roll with it and see what happens. Well, the next day, there was a new closer that started that already had lost a dealership. <laughs> so I was like, hold on, time out. I've been making you lots of money for like a year, and who's this guy? Who eventually actually, two weeks after they hired him, they fired him. But I left. I was like, I'm, I'm not feeling this. I'm not, this is like not cool. This is like not ethical. This is, this is mean. And I talked it over with Deb. We prayed about it. We're like, yeah, okay. So I left. I never leave something. I never leave anything unfinished. I, it bugs me. It's like, no, I'm... If I'm going to leave here, I have to have something else in line, right? Which is what my dad told me when I was growing up. This is what you do. You have something else lined up. I did not, so we trusted in God. What was it? Two weeks, three weeks later, Deb had gotten a, she had accepted a position with uh, Lancaster School District. She was teaching at Desert Christian High School, so she went in to officially resign from Desert Christian. And she talked to the principal, whose name was Dean Spolstra, and said, I have this position, this is my dream job, this is what I've been looking forward to my whole career, and they've offered me a position here, and I'm going to take it. So Deb was a little upset at him, because he says, oh man, Deb, we, say to, we sure hate to see you go, because you're such a tremendous asset here. She coached soccer, softball. She did amazing things with the kids. And then he just looked at Deb and says, what's Mark doing? She was like, you're not even going to mourn me just a little bit? Come on. I mean, so I went in and I had a 10-minute interview with Dean and I was the new freshman Bible teacher at Desert Christian High School. I taught there for seven years. And I was like, okay, 
Okay, I'm finding my purpose. And meanwhile, this whole time, people are saying to me, Mark, you're going to be a pastor. <laughs> no. At that point, I was more, more than happy. to. I had the gift of no. That's what I had. People said, you're going to be a pastor. No. <laughs> no. Well, here we are. But to get to this point, I figured, well, I'm in a Bible classroom. I'm teaching Bible. I have a captive audience. The kids can't go anywhere. They have to sit in Bible. This is great. This is like a captive church right here. It's like, you cannot leave until I'm done. The bell will dismiss you. No, I'm kidding. But I'm not. So I thought I was living my purpose. But see, God was just setting me up for the next thing. He was preparing me for what was next. So there came a point where stuff happened to me, and there was a difference of opinions and things like that. I'm not going to go into it. You could buy me a coffee. No, actually, check that. Slurpee. And uh, it's 110 out. <laughs> Slurpee works. And, um, and, I, and this was at the time where I start, we started having conversations with these people named Tim and Sharon Lee, with Danny and Cheryl Saltzman, with Marcus and Liz Nelson, and we began talks about planting a church. And so over 10 years ago, we started having this conversation of what Life Church would be and what Life Church would look like. And I'm like, excited, yet freaked out. Because every time that I had gotten, gotten to this place where I was getting closer in my relationship with God, I was getting close, I felt like purpose was being being released in me, my destiny was like, oh man, I see it. This is it. This is it. Every time I saw those things start to happen, something happened in my life that I let control that situation and it became crushed. So every time somebody says, oh, Mark, God's, you're going to be a pastor, it stressed me out. I worried about it. I had anxiety about it because everything that I had up to this point that I felt God was moving me towards, there was a situation that I let get bigger than God. And so I let that crush my purpose. And all this time I'm thinking to myself, does God have me covered? Does he? Because this is a lot of stuff. <laughs> You know, maybe you've been in that situation where you're like, the stuff just doesn't end. But he's got you covered. And every time I felt was that I was in a good place, I started wondering if God actually had me covered because I've, I saw things um, like his grace and his mercy and his love and his strength and his compassion all these things were at work in my life because he was prepping me for something more and something different than what I had in my brain. Fast forward. I am now doing the two things that I vowed I would never do in my life. Teach. I'm a middle school teacher. And be a pastor. Well, here we are. And I tell you, there is something freeing that comes when you actually 
let the creator of the universe have his way. And you know the whole time that he's, that he's had you covered. But the only thing, the only common denominator that when things did not work out was me. That was the only common denominator, was me. So, God has got you covered this morning. He's got you all covered. When was the last time you covered your life with him? And this is a lesson that I had to learn a hard way, is that not only, oh, God's got me covered, but I have to ask him to cover me. I have to verbally ask him, I need your help. Please forgive me for this mindset. Forgive me for what I said when I was backing up the trailer. If you camp, you know what I'm talking about. I just got a fifth wheel. I don't know how that thing works yet, but it's awesome. Backing up is really different. And so it's like a constant, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't see you. I'm sorry. So struggle's real. But it's just, it, it's this constant conversation. And here's the thing. It's okay to have a conversation with God. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to maybe even feel angry. It's okay. Just don't stay there. Because he wants to use that and take it. Like the Bible says, he, taught, he gives you beauty for ashes. You give him the stuff. And he transforms it into something beautiful and usable. But we have to give it to him. We have to let him have it. So the last point, and we're going to wrap up with this, is seek God first. If you seek God first, the other three kind of pale. They kind of fall in line. If I seek God first, I know he has me covered. If I seek him first, I know he's going to pull through. He's got, he's got me. Verse 33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and the assurance that when we do, that all we need will be given to us. Need. Need. Not want. I didn't know there was a difference in those words, but there it is. It's like Pastor Tim with his Mini Cooper. You know, his TARDIS blue Mini Cooper. He wants that in his driveway one day. I don't need a Mini Cooper. I have one. I don't rub it in his face, though. Much. It's the only reason I bought it, actually. No, I'm kidding. But this attitude helps us place our hearts on loving God more than having our material needs met. It also assures us that all the things we worry about will be taken care of by him. This is a great policy to follow. That everything that we need, he is going to take care of. Listen to his voice and take time to listen. And more and more, I kind of, I start feeling and I start hearing his voice more and more. Not even even like the most spiritual moments when I'm in the word or when I'm praying or when I'm just talking to other people. We just, we just came back from a trip. We went to Arizona, Utah. We went to Zion and Bryce Canyon and all these amazing places that was really hot and a lot of hiking. Before we left, my neighbor looked over. And my neighbor and I, we, we converse now and then. But they're, they're people of few words. And he looked over and he says, 
That, that back tire of your trailer looks weird. It looks like it's wearing weird. I said, oh, let me take a look. And I went to a closer look, and I was like, it was like two days before we're leaving. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that thing is kind of jacked up. I never noticed because I'm just like <laughs> taking care of everything else. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just take the spare off of the back of the trailer, take that one off, and I'll put the spare on, and we'll be good. And then this little voice says, take that one off, go down to the tire store two blocks away, put a brand new one on, and keep your spare just in case you need it. And I was like, oh, okay, we can do that. So we get to our first destination. We make it to Lake Powell. We're camping there. It's beautiful, 112 degrees. It is the best. The lake's gone down 40 feet. We're like, where is it? And uh, it's whole Powell now. <laughs> There's not a lot there. But we went on the lake on pontoon boats and stuff, had a blast. We left there, and we we're like, what, 20 miles, maybe 30 miles down the road? I'm not sure if you've had her at a blowout on a trailer, but that is a good time. Um, I should have opted out for the leather upholstery that day because when you hear that bang and then you hear smoke and you see rubber go flying, in your mirror, doesn't instill a whole lot of confidence. So I pulled over right away and I went over and the brand new tire that was there, the one I was going to put the spare on, that went totally fine. The one right in front of it blew. Had I put the spare on before we left and not replaced the spare, we would have been up a creek because I had no spare. Now we had a spare to lower down, which was fun. I don't know who put spares under trailers, but they need to be fired. But it was God's voice just saying, here's the little things, just the little things. Just don't put the spare on. Take this, get a new one, put this on, and trust me. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So when you hear that still, small, little voice saying, don't do that, do this. Don't send that message on Facebook. Call this person. Do that instead because it's so much more life-giving. And here's the thing. When is the last time we fought worry with prayer and the word of God before we got all up in our feelings? And here I want to close with this thought. Don't let the worries of tomorrow hinder your expectancy in God today. God wants to do something amazing in our lives today. And guess what? He wants to do something amazing in your life tomorrow. But even God says, don't worry about tomorrow. Focus here. This is going to be amazing. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for how amazing you are. That even in the midst of our chaos and the things that we face, the things that we see, the things that we deal with in our lives, that you have always got us covered. Help us to seek you first in everything. Not to, put our, to know that worrying doesn't help. Uh, but God, help us to put our trust in you fully and completely. Because we know with you leading the charge, we will lack nothing. 
We thank you, Jesus, that you're so good to us. To thank you that you lavish your love upon us each and every day. And your mercies for us are brand new every morning. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.